Welcome to the Protectors Podcast. I have to change my voice whenever we hit the record button. Morgan, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Jason. I appreciate it. We finally made it happen. I'm like, I'm looking at your first first edition of the book. We're not going to talk about that. But I think I've had this sitting on my shelf for a couple of years now, probably. Well, that that both warms and hurts my heart because I don't know if you read the first one. But don't worry, the second one's better anyway. Believe me, I if I could read everything that got sent to me, I would. I just, I just wish I had time to. That's what I love about audiobooks. Audiobooks are like the best thing ever. Well, you are in luck. The audiobook is going to be finished recording on Thursday. So, it, are you gonna, are you gonna record your own? Or are you doing? I, get, I, I mean, you can hear my voice. You know that. Um, I like it. Be. I think it would be great. I think we'd be like, hey, this is Morgan Lorette. I was a Blackwater mercenary. <laughs> you know, I, I start doing my own books. You know? <laughs> I would. I'd be like, after an hour, I'd be like, okay, I lost my voice. Um, no, Jason or uh, Jay Moore. Jay Moore, the actor, Saturday Night Live, Jerry Maguire. Yeah, Jay Moore's awesome, man. Yeah, he's he's doing it up for me. So pretty stoked about that. Okay, now I'm now I'm definitely you know what I don't typically say this out loud, but I'm definitely getting an audiobook. I want to I want to see how Jay does. Yeah, I I was telling him like the way that I use the f word in the book, it, like if you want to get on a call, I can tell you all the ways to say it. And he's like, I think I got this, and I'm like, you probably do. You know the the f word is probably the best vocabulary, and and for all the civilians out there, the f word can be used in any context, anywhere within the military and obviously the contractor community. Anybody that has anything to do with the military can use that F word to pretty much describe anything. It's You can say it twice. You can do effing F and be like, oh, yeah, no, that, that's a mm -hmm. bad F. I get that one. You could literally have a whole conversation just with the F word. <laughs> or about it. <laughs> exactly. Morgan, you know, contracting world is different. It's, it's incredible because back in the day, because we're talking like the early 2000s here, then GWAT, you know, obviously the military didn't have the resources to do a lot of the, especially the protective security details, all the civilians, the whole military industrial complex didn't have enough people to protect their assets. So all of a sudden, like someone like Blackwater, these contracting companies and boom, they needed people and they needed them fast. How did you kind of get scooped up into the contractor world? I mean, you pretty much nailed it, except that the military probably could have done it, but when we went into Iraq, uh, we were like, we don't want to be the infidels that are invaders. So we turned over the state of Iraq to the Iraqi government. And then we said, well, now it's a diplomatic mission. Ignore all those car bombs. It's not a big deal. Um, so when it became a diplomatic mission, they said, we don't want the DOD protecting all of our Department of State and our CIA and our NSA. And they didn't have enough people to actually do the protection stuff themselves. So they, they sent the call out for knuckle draggers and it was it was a, like a, the smoke the smoke blankets. Uh -huh. and, um, back in 04, it, it just happened so fast. Like if you knew somebody that was over at Blackwater, they could give a name. And then I got to call it like 5 a.m. in the morning. And this back when I used to sleep in. And they're like, hey, do you want to come to Moyoc and train? And if you make it, we'll send you to Iraq. And it was really that fast because they had to they had to man you know, a thousand people over the course of two, three months. And the election was happening in 04 between Kerry and Bush. So they were like trying to get everybody through, especially for the State Department, 
uh, that could get a clearance as fast as they could. 23 years old, all-American kid. Have you ever smoked pot? Of course not. I made a lot in high school, but I'm not going to tell you that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was just like the fastest. I mean, it, and everything about it was fast. Even in the book, it's like everything, every day was just, it was just like breakneck speed. So it's it's kind of, you know, appropriate. That's how it started. And the money, you know, when I, so I was an IRR guy. And when I got recalled, I was infantry. And I was an infantry officer. But a lot of the enlisted guys that were below me were, you know, E4 and below. And, you know, they, they get recalled. But a lot of them got out of the service. They, they already did a tour in Iraq. And a lot of them went become contractors. A lot of 75th guys and stuff like that. And they were talking about the money. And it was just like they were throwing money at people just because they needed bodies. Like you said, you're, you got to build up a thousand person force. And you got to certain you got to fill those contracts. So I don't think yeah. you understand what a contract is. Okay, you know? so, uh, so I mean, I do, but I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the contractors are are people that were sent over to Iraq, and in usually in a protective detail. Sometimes they would do like really really cool stuff, and then there was the protection stuff, and then there's gate guards. So really, a PMC can be anybody from the people that are washing your clothes to the people that were out there in the red zone, like I was, everybody thinks it was black water and it's all the guys in the red zone, but they didn't have enough people to, you know, wash laundry or cook food or any of that stuff. So what they do is they throw money at the problem. Like you were saying, I was like a stripper and somebody was just like raining twenties at me. Right. Like I felt like I was in a rap video. Um, but in order to entice people to go overseas in Iraq, you had to you had to have a pretty hefty paycheck. So they started me at five hundred and fifty dollars a day, twenty three years old. That's two hundred thousand bucks a year if you stay like eleven months out of the year. And they would they would just once a month they would just get this direct deposit for like fifteen, seventeen and a half thousand dollars. And I was like the happiest guy on the planet. Now, granted. I could have went out and had my, my head blown off and nothing would have ever, you know, I wouldn't have got a parade and there's no SGLI or the, the life insurance that you get when you're in the military or any of those veterans benefits. But I mean, the money was definitely enticing for people like me that hadn't always made the best decisions in life. We were just making another bad decision and making money for it. Well, you know, we have the pros, lots and lots of money and you know, the tax, the tax, because you're in a different different zip code, i.e. different different part of the world, you don't really have to worry about that aspect of it. But the cons, you know, you're pretty much at the, hey, you know what, you're you're basically from what I see, cannon fodder. Yes. So that's the one thing when I talk to prior service guys, and I'm prior service and I joined the army actually after I did Blackwater as an officer. Uh, when we drove around, it was us. And it was 13 people max. And if something happened, we had those two little helicopters. They were really cool to look at, but you don't have a whole lot of gun power, power on those things. You couldn't call Big Army. This is before Blue, Blue Force Tracker or anything. We didn't coordinate with the military. So I remember we were leaving Baghdad to go down to Al Hilla. When you got on the outskirts of Baghdad, we just lost all radio comps. There's nothing. Couldn't talk to anybody. And then when we got close to Al Hilla, which is, you know, a solid hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, then we got comms to Al Hilla. So we could theoretically call a QRF at that point. But it was just, it's just you. And people don't realize that when it's just you, it is a, like, it, it, there's a lot of, if you put a piece of coal in my butt crack, I could turn it into a diamond over the course of like four hours. 
when you think about contracts, uh, and this is this is the kind of thing I was getting at with the contracts too. So you're a contractor, meaning you fall under a contract. You're making five hundred fifty dollars a day. Whoever the military industrial complex person is out there who's getting this contract assigned to them says, "Hey, you know what? We're going to pitch this company and this either the government or someone else. We're going to be like, we're going to fill these spots. You're getting five fifty. The person in charge of Blackwater or wherever is making double that, triple that to fill that, the contract." That was always the question that we had. And I think what yeah. we came up with was we made five fifty a day and they were charging in between fifteen hundred and two thousand dollars a day to have us on the ground. And of course they could say, well, we have to have all these training facilities and we have to have those things were already built before Blackwater got overseas with contractors. Mm-hmm. So they were making money hand over fist. And I mean, good on them because yeah. why the heck not? Somebody was going to do it. Remember, remember Custer's Battles? Remember that one? Like the worst name for a PMC? They went in mm-hmm. like right in 04. Oh, yeah. Like, like people like that were going to do it. So Blackwater was definitely uh, a, a lot more professional than, say, Custer's Battles and those like overnight security firms that got created. But still, it, it, like, we're, you're throwing money at a problem that nobody knows how to solve. Oh yeah. Hoping if you look at, I don't know where they posted at, but it's at the federal register or something. So the government needs something done and they'll pitch it. They'll be like, Hey, we need this. You need to fill these requirements so that they find you Morgan. Who's prior service check has a heartbeat check. Can shoot a gun check. Eh, questionable marijuana usage in high school. Eh, we don't know about that, but no, that's how they do it. So they just fill them. They st- and the same thing happens nowadays. There's different types of contracts. I mean, you, you go to any agency now and you see the green badgers, they're contractors, just different types. But you are basically cannon fighters. I can't imagine like that feeling, the pucker factory. Like you said, it's like the diamond thing. Now, <laughs> guns, girls, and greed. Where do the girls go? I know, hey, look, guns are awesome, but how do you get girls in Iraq? What's going well, on there were there were definitely some some Blackwater groupies in Iraq because between like the military girls, okay, let's let's just put this in perspective. Most Blackwater guys are not Air Force guys like me. They were like Navy SEALs, recon Marines, just I mean the most handsome guys on the planet, and like the military girls absolutely loved us. So. There was definitely girls in Iraq, but it was more about the conversations that we would have. I mean, you were in the military and law enforcement. You're mm-hmm. sitting in the car, you're bored. You're like, what are we going to oh, talk yeah. about? It's like, hey, you know what? Um, besides saving the world by, you know, finding, the, you know, the oh, guy yeah. that you're going to make love to in order to save the world. Um, the other conversation is always about girls. And then I was going to say guns, girls, and how much money I was making, but it didn't sound as cool as greed. So, you know, got that alliteration going. GGG. Yeah. I like it. You know, the greed part of it really isn't greed. Because look at it this way. Your life expectancies, it's shitty. You can die. You know, and how long can you possibly do that? You know, yeah, I've known people who've contracted for years here and there, you know, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But it's not sustainable. It's not. It's I mean, it's not sustainable if you want to have any kind of semblance of a real human life. But to your point, there's people that I I know that were there in 04 with me that are still going back, chasing the dragon. Um, but you, the same problems that you saw with soldiers is the ones that you saw with contractors, right? Like, oh, hey, my wife emptied my bank account. My um, 
you know, I got broken up with, my wife wants to divorce me, like all that same stuff. Cause you're away from your family for that long. And then the money is like the drug that just keeps sucking you back in. Cause when you come home, you don't go and you put that in a 401k. Like no. I'm not that smart. It's like, you know what I really need is a Land Rover. I better get this <laughs> Land Rover. And so like your six months, you blew all the money and then you're going back with 20,000 in your pocket. And you're like, okay, after this contract, I'm going to be done. Um, and it just, I can't tell you how many people will come back and be like, oh, I bought my wife this $40,000 ring and I got four Harleys. And we're like, so that explains why you're back in two weeks instead of two months. Welcome. Mm -hmm. Welcome Now that's the welcome to Blackwater right there. It's like, listen, you know what else I love to tell people is that the same toxic exposure I got from Iraq contractors got it too. you know the same medical issues that everybody else got and not just contractors civilians and everybody else you can possibly imagine you're getting it too but then you don't have that i can go to the va not that the va is actually going to do anything but for you guys it's like yeah you're kind of shit out of luck yeah i mean the va is helping out a lot of immigrants right now which you know makes makes me really happy but um that that's the other thing is that there is no support system when you get back. So you could text your buddy and they're in Tennessee. It's not like you're going to sit there around a campfire and kind of commiserate. Mm-hmm. Like when you leave with an army unit, you come back with an army unit, you kind of get downtime with the army unit. Um, so the suicide rate for contractors is exceptionally high. You don't have anything out there. And if you guys contracted, reach out to me. I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. There is something called the defense base act where people are getting paid out for some of their injuries, but that's all new and it's all word of mouth, but there's no VA. There's no like VA, what disability. There's none of that stuff. You just, they say, Hey, we gave you your money up front. We're not going to pay you on the back end." So they probably did save money uh, over the course of like 20 years, but like at what expense? Well, you brought up a great point too, is mental health. How do you, how are you going to go relate to, you know, PFC Snuffy over here, a private Snuffy who got paid 60 grand to go to war and lose a limb when you got paid 200 or something grand and you don't, it's hard to find someone that's going to relate with you. Oh, I'll, I'll one up you on that one. So I went back to college after Blackwater at 27 years old and it was right after the Virginia tech shooting. Oh yeah. And the teacher like was, Hey, who wants to talk about this? And nobody was saying anything. And I, I raised my hand and I said, that guy is such a coward. Like if you're going to go out there and shoot 22 people, at least give somebody the satisfaction of being able to kill you. Don't kill yourself. You coward. And I didn't, I didn't say it nearly as nice as that, but um, these 20, 21, 22 year old kids were looking at me like I was an absolute psycho. Like how, how do you relate to kids like that? that have had a pretty good upbringing, right? I mean, most mm-hmm. of the Blackwater guys are like me, poor white trash kids that just joined the military to get out of small town USA. And then you get into college and you think this is my out. And it's like, well, I think that we should have had more social services for that kid. And I was like, oh, oh, we're that's what you guys wanted to talk about. I thought I thought you wanted to hear the real truth. No, believe me, I, <laughs> I, got, I was active duty. And then I got, I went to college and it was like, I remember I was in ROTC, what the hell I was thinking, but walking around yet back then, this is pre 9 11, so you can walk around with your uniform and you had to. People are calling me like asshole and maybe killer. I'm like, this isn't Vietnam. This is the 90s, bro. It's like they get this shit from their parents or they, they come up these like the coddled living where it's like, you know, that 1% of the society, you go live in your corner, we'll call you when we need you. 
well, when you go to college nowadays, it's like there's a lot of GWAT generation still going to college, but it's the fade out now. You know, there's a lot, not a lot of people who have that military or that shared combat experience or anymore, or, or any military experience that doesn't have to be combat. No, it's, it's, it's a, I mean, even when I got out of, so I went to the ROTC uh, after I got done with Blackwater. You want to talk about having to eat some crow. <laughs> you got like this 22 year old kid that's like, you're not standing at attention right. And I'm like, dude, I just spent like the last 18 months in Iraq, let me be. Um, so when, when, I got through the the ROTC and then now you have these people that are like, I don't know. They're, they're just staunch anti-war everything. And there was always that in college, but I feel like Mm -hmm. in an odd way, you're like your conservatives are also turning anti-war. Like the way that paradigm has shifted is really interesting. But anyway, I went to Tufts university when I got done with my, my time in the army and Tufts is, extremely liberal you guys can you guys can go google it and it'll be like free palestine Um, oh my gosh so i was talking to people and they were like do you think that you're conservative and i was like you think i'm kyle rove's bastard child but i'm pretty in the middle i'm like do you think that you're in the middle and they're like oh yeah and i was like you don't even you haven't even seen it all like you went to columbia for your undergrad joined the peace corps now you're at tufts like and these are the people that the u.s government recruits to get into the cia nsa fbi di like all those people so when when you see that there's that like that just that juxtaposition and that fight in between like the military mm-hmm. and the agencies that's why is oh yeah it's amazing you know i was in 1811 i was 1801 1895 1896 all sorts of different green series and that's the thing i've noticed so i went to federal law enforcement training center in georgia and FBI goes to their own academy, does their own thing. So I always tell people, I'm like, the FBI, like, they're a different animal. They are a completely different animal. And they're, it's the same thing. They're recruiting from different sources than me. Like, a lot of people are 1811s. You know, some of us come from some interesting backgrounds. You know, I wasn't, you know, I was an enlisted artillery dude. Can hardly hear anything. Would I have made it in the FBI? Probably not, because my attitude. So you have like different types of things, but that's who's recruiting for these top quote unquote top tier three letter agencies. They're not recruiting warfighters. They're not recruiting like in my own perception, people who need to get the job done, you know, to find evil people in this world, whether it's terrorists or criminals or whatever, you need people who can see evil people. And if you're recruiting these people who are kind of living in these little bubbles, it takes them five years to experience anything that has to do with evil. It's, I don't know, man, you know, maybe I'm just preaching. Well, I, I think you need that, that both sides, right. In order to have, mm-hmm. have policy that meets the needs of, of all, all people. However, what you're seeing is that it's, it's one side is right, one side is left, right? I mean, you look at the recruiting for the U.S. Army, it's all Midwestern, it's small mm-hmm. towns. Um, yeah. And then you look at the officer corps for the Navy, and it's all like the coastal stuff, right? So so you need that mix, and I think the military gets that mix to a certain extent. Um, but the agencies are not getting that mix. They're getting the people that already think a certain way. Mm-hmm. And th- there's a few that you know jump in and, and can make it through that, but... 
I've talked to so many agents that are just like, holy cow, you would be absolutely shocked that like the politics and the policy. And it's almost like instead of Thursday night football, they sit around and they watch C-SPAN because it's more important to figure out like what people are saying in the Senate than it is to watch football. Like it's just a different, it's a different breed of human. I, you know, I'm, I'm like a true crime like fanatic. I watch like 48 hours investigate things all the time. And I'm like, always trying to figure shit out. But then you're right. It's like everybody, I just see like a different perspective, a different cultural shift. I, before I retired, you know, somehow I had a really good supervisor for once and I put in for this presidential management rotation. It's like, it's like the fellows in a civilian world, but it's like this big deal. It gets me into it. I think only like a hundred or something feds get it. And I'm like, just for the hell of it, I'm going to put in for a DHS policy to go work for them for six months. I'm like, obviously nobody ever Googled my name, whoever did this hiring process for the, the policy. So I go over and I work for DHS policy, working on certain policy for my orcas. And I'm going there. I'm like, okay, you know, I have all these friends in here and there that are different agencies. I'm like, how do you guys get your information to write these policies? And first of all, when you go in there, the people writing policy for DHS are in their twenties and thirties. They're not like the people who are in the field. You're not recruiting like the 40 something year old who's been there, done that knows what the hell DHS needs to know. No, it's, it's like a college campus and you're like, Holy crap. And talk about demographics of the, the type of, I'm not going to say, well, yeah, politics, political and other types of demographics. It's different. It's not what, you know, people who be national security policy, you think would know something about national security. So I go to one of the bosses and I'm like, well, how do you guys develop this policy? Where do you get the information from? Are you reaching out to the Intel community, the IC? Are you reaching out to the border patrol field agents, reaching out to special agents in HSI and this and that and everything. And they're like, um, we Google it. <laughs> I'm like, you Google it. And me at the time, I'm I'm still teaching college. I didn't mean to still teach college. I'm like, so are you using like Google Scholar or something? They're like, no, we just Google it. I'm like, you're developing policy <laughs> by Googling things. You're not reaching out to the subject matter experts. You have the government behind you. You could reach out to the top educational resources you can imagine, the top policymakers, people who are like think tank types, people who do this for a living and you're not utilizing it, you're Googling it and figuring out things. Oh man. And just like, that's who's running the country. And I, I kind of think, you know, as a student of history, it's like, has it always been this way? Was it like this in Vietnam? Was this like this to the fifties with China and, and the Korean war? I mean, was it always like this? Thomas Jefferson was like, hey, uh, scribe, come here. I'm going to give yeah. you four words, and you're going to come up with this thing that we're going to call the Constitution. You ready? Um, no, it because I worked on – at Tufts, I worked on um, – they called it like the space – I don't know, like the international law of space, right? Because that's, that's the next frontier is yeah. like – it, you can't just have everybody sending satellites up. Same thing with like the law of the sea and all the other stuff. So, but yeah, it was a bunch of us college students in our graduate degree that were coming up with something that was going to be presented to some random senator. And I'm not going to lie to you, when I had to find something about space, I hit the old Google. Like that's yeah. 
It's crazy. What happened before Google? Like, holy cow. I thought about that the other day. I think I, I actually had an interview and we we're talking about that. So encyclopedias. And then you remember like back in the day, if you had AOL, the disc, sometimes they would send you the, like the Encarta at AOL, the Britann- Encyclopedia oh, yeah. Britannica. But there was no like reaching out. You'd have to like get the phone book out. I don't even know. Man. <laughs> Go to the library. The biblia, what's that? The, yeah, the uh, the Dewey uh, Decimal System. The Dewey Decimal System. That's what it is. Yeah, it's crazy, man. And no, there's nothing wrong with googling something, as long as you could find reliable sources, and as long as you know what you're looking for, as long as you know how to track the information down. But when you have the whole government, where you could go in, into a, a skiff, and pull up an email, or and even look on the repositories of stuff that's already out there. You're creating policy, you know, policy that's going to affect generations, you know, if it, if it gets signed, because when you look, when you go into these policies, you look at them, you're like 1975, you're like, holy shit, that's the last time this policy has been updated. (laughs) (laughs) You're talking generations. So like when you're doing things, you really have to find the subject matter experts. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, it's it's harder and harder to find those people because most of those subject matter experts are also using Google. Um, but but to your point, history repeats itself. There's nothing mm-hmm. that's happening now that hasn't happened in the past, right? I mean, so Israel and the Palestinians are fighting like first time ever. Who knew that these guys hated each other? Like, yeah, it's weird. You could you could go back into the history books and kind of see what happened there or the Sunnis and the Shias, right? Which is the Houthi rebels versus Saudi Arabia versus, you know, us over in the, in the, the Strait of Hormuz, all that stuff. Um, but it's way easier to Google. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, that's how I got through college. Oh so, yeah. So there's no, I'm, I'm not going to complain about the Google, but yeah, if, if you're, if it starts with uh, Wikipedia, you probably don't want to cite that would be my, well, you know, you said history repeats itself and that's what I liked about the book guns, girls and greed. Is that there is going to be another conflict? Something else is going to happen, and there's going to have to be contractors out there. There's going to have to be people doing it. So I'd like to actually read the book and or listen to the book by Jay Moore and get a good idea what's going on there. So what do we expect from the book? I know what it's about, but what does the audience want to know? Oh man, it just it just bonsai's in right. It starts with you know a, a day in the life of Iraq. I call this the combat mullet, right? It's like business in the front party in the rear. So it's business in the front, like where you're out there in the red zone and then party in the rear, literally at Saddam Hussein's palace and we're drinking beer and, you know, busting each other's balls. Uh, and then it goes straight into like flying into Baghdad international airport and, and the insanity of getting into armored vehicles that, that we're told, Oh, don't worry. We're going to have all kinds of armor. They gave us one round or one magazine. They gave us a, a, a like a M4 an old sweaty body armor that smelled like somebody just pulled it out of a gym bag uh-huh. to get to the green zone. Um, and it, it, it starts fast and it just keeps getting faster and faster. And look, there's dysentery in there. Don't let your kids read this. I lent the book to a friend and one of their kids got a hold of it and started doing a book report. So he, they're like, <laughs> you need, you need to go talk to the principal. Um, but if you scratch below the surface, it really does get into, contractors have PTSD. We get the same, you know, we breathe the same air as you. One of the stories is we're flying over uh, that trash pile in Baghdad. And I don't Mm -hmm. know if you were ever in a Black Hawk, but when you flew over that trash pile, 
the Blackhawk sensors would say, oh, crap, we're being shot down. And they'd shoot flares. And the mm -hmm. flares, I thought, dude, I'm dead. Like, holy crap, I'm dead. Um, but we, we breathe the same air. We go through the same stuff. And then there's no support system. And then the other part is where should contractors be in the future, right? We have contractors that are moving unaccompanied minors from the border. Mm -hmm. We have contractors that are protecting <coughs> federal buildings. If we're going to continue to get into war, contractors aren't going anywhere. And I think the frustrating thing is that politicians don't want to address it because it allows them to say, oh, a contractor died. If a soldier died, man, it's going to be on the news for two weeks. Yep. If a contractor dies, they say, oh, a contractor died or something messes up, right? Oh, that was the contractor. Mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, it was a bad apple. It wasn't, it wasn't us who contracted with them, who contracted with a third, right? So it gives that separation of powers, which is really kind of scary because you never know what laws govern you at any given time, right? I'm outside the green, outside the green zone in Iraq, mm -hmm. do the laws of Iraq cover me? Is it the laws of the U.S.? Is it the UCMJ? Is it nobody really knew? Um, so the ambiguity is good for politicians, but it's really bad for contractors. So the reader can go through it, have a couple laughs, uh, see the good and the bad, and then decide like, is this how we really want to wage war? And at twenty three, making five hundred fifty dollars a year. Hell yeah, that's how we wanted to make or five fifty a day. That's why how we wanted to wage war. But a little bit older people say, "How do I get into contracting?" I'm like, "Dude, don't do it unless you have a three million dollar policy for mm -hmm. like general liability. Don't go into contracting because they are going to throw you under the bus if oh, anything yeah. happens." And this would be a good good tale for those people who are thinking about it. You know, the young Joe. Who's getting out? Who's like, ah, oh, man, I did three or four years, so I really want to get into. What am I getting myself into? That's the thing. Yeah, and a lot of those contracting jobs now are like you got you get to go be a gate guard in Kuwait, which is that sounds terrible to me. I just lucked out, right? I just mm -hmm. got to skip to the front of the line, but um, it it is not the robust pay that it used to be, unless you're mm -hmm. you're in with like MVM or one of those like super secret squirrel gigs and those oh man those are so hard to get now because guys like me have been doing it for 20 years i mean not me but who, who mm -hmm. are they going to call the you know joe snuffy that just got out of the army being an 0311 or are they going to call the guy that's been contracting for 10 years like, who knows the deal yeah well brother i appreciate it everybody make sure you pick up guns girls and greed yeah thank you so much for having me and uh if it, it's a wild ride i sent it my wife read it and she's like, Oh my God, this is hilarious. And then she looked at me at the end and goes, Oh my God, who did I marry? So that's how, that's how you know it's good. <laughs>